0: now here's a highlight from coast to coast am on iheart radio it's a journey into madness and mayhem i'm going to digress for one second because i thought well what did i get wrong in that previous conversation so daniel let me clear this up when you were talking about uh charles waterton um, and that he had been the dauntless one at the school where sir arthur conan doyle had attended uh, that one of the reasons why this kid had become so famous, he was a legendary student, kind of the best boy of all time, yeah, the in naturalist.
1: this yeah he actually he actually discovered Curie and its effects and made actually the first artificial respirator
0: yeah, and so that was interesting that this guy, Charles uh, Waterton, was also uh, kind of a hoaxster and that oh, absolutely. he yeah, and I wondered. So that's what I was when I said, "Well, he was kind of an idol of him."
1: Oh, I see. I, I got. Oh, now I understand where the reference is coming from. Sure, he did the Red Howler Monkey. Yeah, the, uh, he, basically he he was it charges, um, exorbitant amount of money for bringing stuff back in from from South America back to Europe. Uh, so he actually made a a mockery of the of the of the guy who charged him and, and, and basically configured this. Red Howler monkey to look like the missing link type of thing. Right. Um, And of course, Doyle would later, with the Man Manhooks, as you're alluding to, do one better and make him the real mixing link.
0: And I think that was what, so I thought that was why it was so interesting, was that I thought you had made that connection in the book, is that here he, you know, as a young. As a boy, he, he saw he, how everybody was enamored with this guy who was kind of also living sort of this dual life. He was making all of these amazing medical achievements, as you mentioned, the Karari and the... Uh, and, the and
1: the artificial respirator. Sure. And the
0: artificial respirator. But at the same time, he had this devilish streak where he liked to sort of tweak the nose of the establishment, and he had created the first uh, missing link hoax. And that that led to the Piltdown Man. And I thought, wow, that that, that connection 25.
1: Exactly. You're right on the money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's really because I think that speaks directly to this fracture inside of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That if you're right, he even had a model for this where you could be very respectable and everybody loves you, but. Uh, you know, Behind the scenes, you could be your very own Moriarty. You could be that person who's pulling the strings and making other people believe things that you want them to believe.
1: Yes, and he, and he actually did that with a lot of his friends. Actually, in the murder club he was in, it's called Adler Society, uh, he brought people to seances with him to show them how they were actually real. And the people in the club were saying, you're, you're, like, a, you're like a four-year-old. This is obviously fake. Don't you, don't you see it? You know, they're using phosphorus to make his chin light up, just like you wrote about 10 years ago in The Hound of the Basketball. How are you being right. taken by this? Um,
0: but he yeah, said, it's so no, interesting. It's, it's
1: the real deal. So he, he actually lost a lot of friends that way. And his, one of his closest friends, James Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, told him, listen, you and I are great friends. We play in the cricket field together but do not tell me to believe in spiritualism. If you do, you and I, our, our friendship is over. So he, yeah. had, he, he had to like find a balance between what he believed or who he was going to bring into these his ideas, and, and he walked a fine line all the time.
0: Yeah, and not just spiritualism. I mean, the fairies and all of that other stuff. Oh, that... yeah, he
1: descended the, 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 the two teenage girls with the fairies. The, the just, folks. Basically, yeah, he fa- took a coloring book and, <laughs> and took pictures of the fairies. And the thing about that is... Arthur Conan Doyle, before he was known as the writer of Sherlock Holmes, he had his own column in the British Journal of Photography in the, in the early 1880s. You're talking about like eight years before Sherlock Holmes came out. So when, this, when the fairies were being you know, shown to the world in the 1820s, he was, he was an expert photographer. He knew how to fake a photograph. So he should have known, or he did know, that these were fake, and he was just trying to tell the world, no, this world that he lives in, this magical thinking world, is is real? As a matter of fact, his father, uh, Charles, so Arthur Conan Doyle's father, and a lot of believed in fairies and that he could talk to uh, birds and he could see them, and it's something that his son actually believed in too, and it's the, this this father some relationship that really was what got me going on yeah. the origin of Jack the Ripper, actually, because what happened was when I came across his medical school thesis, and we were talking about you had to write a thesis to become a doctor at age 25.
0: Right. So when
1: he, when he was approaching that age, he wrote a thesis for med school on the, uh, the, the final phases and stages of uh, syphilis. And, and, you know, and I read about this in, in JAMA. I, took, I, you know, I called Edinburgh Medical School. I said, can I get a copy of his, of his thesis? They sent it over, it's 130 pages. The first thing I noticed were some of the dates that he quotes in the beginning of the thesis are only two weeks later he's submitting it. So he's quoting articles that were only two weeks old. So he wrote this thing in about two to three weeks. Uh, you took him about a PhD thesis, basically. It's almost unheard of. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't do it, which is why I was so impressed. But some of the information contained inside was what really got me going, what was going on with his mind. Because... The first thing was he writes very anecdotally, like you're sitting at a table with a man who's squinting reading the newspaper. And I'm going, what is he talking about? Like he's, does he know someone with syphilis that he would be sitting at the, tape with like at the table with the guy? And, and then he starts really describing this one obscure sign of syphilis, which is the loss of a knee-jerk reflex called the Westfield sign. And he goes on and on about this. And then at the end of this thesis... He writes about the treatments, because, you know, that's how you, you have to do, like, this breakdown of, of how you treat and how you, what, how you diagnose. And at the end, he actually says, you know, the treatment of syphilis is amyl nitrate uh, up to you take, you start with one, like, uh, millum And he says, I myself, he says, I myself have taken up to 40 without any ill effect. So the first thing that caught me was, why is a guy without syphilis taking toxic doses of, of amyl nitrate that only is known to treat syphilis? I mean, did he think he had it when he was 25 years old? Which is what got me going into doing all this research about what was going on in his life. And who is this anecdote about? Like, why is he sitting at a table with someone?
0: Okay, wait. So let me back up for a moment. So amyl nitrate, isn't that what they, yeah. today we call poppers? And isn't it like connected yeah, yeah. to the sex drug? Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? It's, it's like so, nitroglycerin. It actually dilates your it, blood vessels, right? That yeah,
0: but time. I mean, it makes you frenetic, and people take poppers, and then they go dancing, and then have, you know, the, the theory is, is that you have this uninhibited wild animal-like sex on oh. amyl nitrate. I mean that sounds like what was happening with some of the victims later on with Jack the Ripper I mean well,
1: that well I mean remember none of the ripper victims were 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 raped there was no,
0: no I don't mean that, but no. I mean in terms of the frenzy of the oh is that the oh the cutting and the whatever I mean that's just that that's so interesting to me that you brought up i would never i didn't make that connection with with amyl nitrate until yeah, just now, he but
1: taking, he was taking very high doses, and he actually says the first thing you get is a headache, so he actually knew. Yeah, side effect profile, this guy was really, you know, you're talking, this is the medicine he's taking.
0: He's hopped up on poppers. Right? I mean, exactly. come on. Right,
1: and, 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 and of course, and, and why would you want to do this if you, you're writing about it in your thesis and you're confessing to your professors that you're taking such a medicine for right. this condition, uh, which kind of was like, you know, what is he, what is he doing here? What's why? he
0: admitting to? Yeah. yeah.
1: And what well, happened next was I actually ordered this book called The Doyle Diary, which I thought was going to be about Arthur Conan Doyle because why would you? Who else would be the Doyle Diary? It actually happened to be about his father, uh, who was an artist. Oh, that's right. But they and published about, after, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, you find out that his father was incarcerated in a mental hospital for presumptive alcoholism at age forty-two. And it's like, and he and he died there years later. He never escaped. He never. He was made a prisoner. Actually. And I actually contacted the mental hospitals that he was an inmate at, and I asked for his medical records. They sent them to me, and I went over them. And the, the thing that really shot out at me and said, wow, this is something of importance, is that the only physical finding that they had on him on admission to Montrose Hospital was that he had this absent knee-jerk reflex. Oh, Which he had in, syphilis. And, and, and Doyle's thesis, he actually spends an awful amount of time talking about it, saying if you have, an abs- if you have Westfall sign, you, are, you, you have syphilis until proven otherwise. And I made that question, like, he is thinking that his father, is, that, that anecdotal patient of his that's sitting at the, pa- at the table with him reading the paper and squinting is his father. Yeah. And then, of course, I read another article that happened right after this thesis paper which is on the Contagious Diseases Act, and it's written by Arthur Conan Doyle. And he says that women of the night are ruining the taverns of the area. They should be locked up and incarcerated into lock hospitals, and invasive gynecological examinations should be performed on them until they are deemed to be uh, clear of infectious disease. And he writes this long article in the Portsmouth News, and a week later the, another physician writes back and says, Arthur Conan Doyle is a liar. His information is completely all all lies and he has to retract his statement and he did so i knew there was a connection that syphilis and uh prostitutes and getting them off the streets and this connection to his father is now here but what got me is i also knew that he also was taking the medicine on himself and i went back and read about what he had as a child that's when i started doing all this research on his early life and i realized that he had at a very young age, at age 10, he had neuralgia, like this pain in his jaw. And he actually was getting electric shock therapy when he was a teenager for it. And later, when he was doing that, we were talking about the assistant clerkships to get your, you know, your degree in medicine. Yeah. And when one of his clerkships was in Birmingham, and he was taking gelsimium, and he actually overdosed on it. And two of the assistants that he was working with actually had to save his life because he almost died. Later on, he's using um, he's using um, chemicals from the darkroom to treat a rash that looks like ps- uh, psoriasis. And of course, as a physician, and even me, you, you sound like you would know too. <laughs> you know everything. Uh, no, no, that, no. That rash of syphilis is actually it mimics the rash of psoriasis. Oh,
0: interesting. And
1: there were a lot of these interconnections. Were did he think at this point in time when he was 25 years old that he really had? syphilis and he had it from hereditary factors from his father and of course there's a story that he wrote called the Third generation Arthur Conan Doyle wrote this oh, I think in the early 1890s maybe even the 1880s where he talks about a grandfather passing it down to his son who syphilis this is who passes it down genetically to his grandson and the grandson kills himself because he knows he has it and I said oh this this could be the, this 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 could be what's you know upsetting this kid at this point he's 25 he's a med he just became a doctor and all doctors think whatever disease you know you read about you have and i thought maybe he thought he had it too
0: all right but there's another explanation though too right which is that here he was his childhood had been ruined. He'd been abused. He had been left at um, at boarding schools for, as you point out, six weeks over Christmas. Even though he wasn't a foreign student, he was Correct. like him and all of these other foreign foreign students. He's left at these boarding schools uh, because his mother is having and a she's having a, a robust sexual life with a younger lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Because the marriage broke down because his father had become a self medicating alcoholic um and had very likely then syphilis, and so if the syph- he got syphilis from prostitutes which then ruined his life and broke up his family, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle could easily be associating the fact that he was he had a miserable life up until this point, and it all goes back to the fault of the prostitutes for passing along syphilis. So if they hadn't given his father syphilis, then his parents would have stayed together, and he wouldn't have had such a miserable upbringing. His father wouldn't have been so abusive. It all would have been better. Exactly. Um, and and well, that that's makes exactly sense.
1: why those prostitutes that were killed by Jack the Ripper, were not the young girls of, like, 16 to 25 that you would probably think of would be the victims. They were all in their 40s, you know, 42 to 47 years old. They would have been the ones that would have been attracted to Charles Doyle back in his younger days. So
0: but they, they were also the but the age of his mother. So they, they were they were, uh,
1: they were actually they were the age of his mother at the time. You are correct. They, they were the, exact age so of the
0: mother. He gets a twofer. He's killing yeah. the prostitutes and he's acting out against his mother, who kept abandoning him at these schools where she could have brought him home for the holidays, but she was too busy with her robust sex life. It kind of all comes together. I mean, it's really kind of if you were ever looking for a motivation for Jack the Ripper, that's pretty boilerplate right, exactly. <laughs> right there so all right so but let's let's get into some of the where so and you're the and i don't mean to treat it like it's esoterica it's not you have you have uncovered some missing details in both the life of sir arthur conan doyle and jack the ripper at, Whether or not these are two in the same, let's get to the let's get down to it. Let's talk about some of the really obvious clues that most people know who follow Jack the Ripper that um, like the from hell letter or dear boss or some of the other ways in which he had, you know, contacted the authorities and seemed to be tweaking their nose much in the same way that the piltdown man or the howler monkey hoax that these were all ways of sort of saying you guys think you're so smart but you're not
1: right exactly he was playing with them i mean he was playing with the with the central news agency and the and the police uh, some of it with the
0: establishment too. with the whole yeah. establishment
1: Right, and you know, and we know. You know, some people say these weren't letters written by Jack the Ripper, but obviously some were. One of them had a, a piece of the the victim's kidney that was mailed back to the pathologist, you know, right. So we know that letter was written by Jack the Ripper. So it, it can't be said that he didn't. It, it actually was a perfect match. You know, he said, I, "I ate the victim's kidney, and here it is in a box."
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Which. So all right. So give me some of the clues that you think indicate Jack the Ripper is Sir Carl. Uh, uh, Sir- you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle.
1: Sure. I mean before I get to the I guess to the letters that I, and I would probably go more to like what was left behind at the at the crime scene. Okay. But and I'm just gonna do a little bit of a of just to, to, so your audience knows, Arthur Conan Doyle in eighteen eighty seven became a, a Freemason. This is a very prestigious organization. They actually have about three million members now, and they are a, a brotherhood that does charity sure. uh, and good deeds. Uh, obviously, even though in, in my profession I'm a physician, for, uh, and as Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes says, when a doctor does go wrong, he's the first of criminals. He has nerve and he has knowledge. Um, it doesn't mean that all doctors are bad. Uh, it's the same thing here. So he's a Freemason. Doyle is a Freemason. The majority, 99 percent of, of Freemasons are great, and they do charitable deeds. In fact, Doyle's lodge, Phoenix Lodge 257, was in the midst of uh, raising funds for the local hospital. So in 1887, Doyle became a Freemason, and he became a third degree within about two months. When he got his third degree apron, he actually resigned. Basically, he didn't show up to any of the lodge meetings. He didn't. Participate anymore. He didn't raise money for the hospital. Uh, And then he actually demitted from the organization, which is almost unheard of, two years later. I've had many Masons say there's no way no one ever demits from the Masons. And they looked it up, and his records show that he did in uh, 1889. So we're going to need this for the clue basis. So when you become a third degree, they do a, a, a play, back in the day, I don't know if they do this now, they probably don't, but back in the 1880s, they do a play where they reenact the, the right. death of the death. Uh, King Solomon's uh, master architect, Hiram Abiff, And the first guy, Jubula, basically hits the, the Master Mason across the neck. So we call that, and, and, it, and in the masons, they had a penal sign. It's called uh, the punishment signs, and it was a, your hand basically across your neck. And then penal sign number two is your left hand on your left breast. And in the play, they say that my, my intestines are placed over my shoulder in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And in the, the third act that was committed against the Master Mason was he was hit in the head with a gavel. So there's the, uh, the, the blow to the head. So we have to go back to now to the Ripper clues In murder number one, that of Marianne Nichols. She was she was basically gutted. She, you know, her, her guts, were, her intestines were ripped open. Uh, her, her intestines were exposed, and then she had a deep neck wound. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM
0: every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.